Oh, there we are. Yeah, we're live. Looks like we're live. All right, we made first, it. First presenters of the day. This is exciting. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, forgive my appearance. I got the COVID hair, the COVID facial hair. Uh, I look terrible, quite frankly. But uh, yes. Um, for people who might not know who we are, should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Kyle Bird. I'm one half of the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. And who are you again? I'm uh, Kevin Derendorf, and counterintuitively, I'm not a part of the uh, Kaiju Transmissions podcast most of the time. But not uh, officially, right? Yeah, I uh, I have a blog called Maser Patrol, and I wrote a book called Kaiju for Hipsters. Um, and what are we talking about today, Kevin? Uh, we're here to talk about a movie called The Great Yokai War, which came out in 2005, and that makes it the 15th anniversary. So, uh, you know, I think it's uh, a good time to uh, reevaluate it. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, so uh, I guess people can see our slideshow here, and we'll go through those, and we'll have our talking points, and if time permits, I, I guess... People can ask us questions unless I'm getting something wrong there. Uh, we've got the we've got a set of comments here, so uh, yes, okay. indeed, we, we do have faces. Uh, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll go through. I'll kind of try to keep an eye on stuff as uh, as it comes in. Uh, I might not be able to. So if uh, if anything gets ignored, just uh, repeat it over and over and over in the chat until we respond to it. That's the good way to get attention. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's uh, let's get this uh, panel started. So, I think uh, if we were in a live room, I would ask for a show of hands for how many people know what yokai are to begin with. Uh, I don't think that we can necessarily do that because it's YouTube, and people could be watching it after the fact, and I can't really see everybody's hands, unfortunately, through the internet. So we're just gonna go through a, a quick rundown of some of the background information for this uh, for this movie because it's got a lot of cultural context. So obviously Great Yokai War it focuses on yokai. And yokai are Japanese apparitions or spirits. Uh, the closest Western equivalent I could think of are fairies, but there's a wide range of really weird yokai. And it's sort of because throughout Japanese mythology, you have all kinds of different situations where you have maybe uh, somebody says, don't go on the mountain or the snow woman and we'll get you, or don't go in the river or the kappa will get you. And then when Japan was, you know, unified in the 1600s, everybody started talking to each other about their various legends. And you sort of got this kind of big roster of all these weird different creatures from all over. And they sort of started hanging out in uh, prints and, and stories. And, and you get like parades of a whole bunch of yokai coming together. So, um, like you said, they, they're folk creatures, so you could compare them to, you know, like you said, fairies are also trolls gets used a lot. Um, so uh, now that was really kind of um, turned into a pop culture thing with uh, a manga guy, uh, artist and writer named Shigeru Mizuki. Um, and uh, he's most associated with the popularization of these uh, uh, creatures showing up in, in pop culture. 
Um, just to give you a little bit of background on who he is, um, he was uh, drafted into um, the Imperial Army in World War II, um, where uh, he saw uh, combat. He lost his arm, um, and uh, he saw a lot of his, his friends get killed, you know, the typical ho horror of war kind of story. Um, his brother was, uh, <clears throat> after the war, was taken as a POW um, from the, by the American occupation. Um, but when he lost his arm, you know, that was a, a, a very spiritual, um, I guess, incident for him. Uh, it informed a lot of his work um, in, you know, being yokai centric. He, um, so, so that's another awesome thing about him is that he, he, his career is a, a manga artist, you know, he was doing all this with one arm, you know, and in the slide here, you can see some of the things he's done. Um, Kevin, what's that on the, the, uh, uh, right above his, his photo there. Uh, so that's the, that's the original, uh, Kamishibai of uh, Graveyard Kitaro. So he took that character that's this sort of one-eyed boy that was born in a cemetery that was popular from a series of paper plays. And he sort of reinvented him uh, as the character that you see right in the top corner next to Godzilla there. Uh, and you basically don't see the original version of that character anymore because the, the Mizuki version is, is way more popular now. I would guess a lot of people who might be checking this out have seen the character maybe and even if they don't know what it is um so his uh his kitaro comic strip um you know that was something that really blew up and led to the whole there was this yokai boom in the in the 60s um and it's still a classic property today i mean every 10 to 15 years it gets a new anime series there's live action movies um all kinds of things um so the Great Yokai War, um, or Yokai Daisenso, <clears throat> is one of the, the classic story arcs from um, that manga. <clears throat> and just to kind of give you a little uh, idea about the, that storyline, um, it was published in 1966. Uh, and so you had Kitaro and his usual friends um, of uh, the Japanese yokai, which you can... Um, which you can see in some of the slides here and also the previous one on that little picture he drew of them in front of Godzilla, which was just a little fun thing. I don't think they had like an official crossover or anything like that, but um, they would, they, there was a storyline where they battled uh, Western monsters. So that included a Wolfman, a Frankenstein monster, um, a vampire, uh, like a Dracula type vampire and a witch. Um, and uh, that story itself was loosely based on a folktale called uh, Momotaro. Uh, that was about um, a, a boy who leads uh, his animal friends um, to liberate uh, the island of Higashima from invading demons. Um, so, uh, and, and that story itself was repeated a lot during World War II as a, a propaganda tool. Um, so the, uh, uh, the, Kitaro manga storyline, <clears throat> it, uh, it starts with a, a child who is wearing a, a Vietnamese leaf hat. Um, he asks the Japanese yokai to uh, help defend his land from invading Western monsters. Um, and the story has a lot of uh, 
references to different wars, the Pacific War, um, the Battle of Okinawa, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, um, the Bikini Atoll H-bomb tests. Um, and, you know, some of those references include, um, you know, villagers hiding in tombs that would reflect the caves that were used uh, in warfare and in both, uh, actually, the Battle of Okinawa and the Vietnam War. Um, and uh, there's even a point where the Western monsters try to trick Kitaro into um, demilitarization. They say, we don't want to fight a pointless war like Vietnam. You know, that was an intentional allusion to um, uh, the, uh, the conclusion of the Korean War. Um, <clears throat> and uh, both, of the, both the original manga and the movie we're about to talk to actually end with the villains being destroyed in what looks like an atomic bomb explosion. Um, and uh, the 2005 movie that we're talking about um, today actually adds a little coda where Mizuki has a cameo himself and someone says, you know, we won the war. And he says, who won? Don't be foolish. There is even a limit to foolishness. Uh, wars must not happen. They only make you hungry. Um, the point being that even though the good guys won, it was still a war. It was still hell. And war is, is just not good. And, I, and Mizuki, I think, had a, a lot of complicated feelings about war um, in the United States. Uh, you know, he, he was very anti-war. Um, but he also, uh, he also harbored, as we see in the metaphor in the uh, original storyline, he had some resentments towards the American occupation after the war. Um, but as a war survivor, uh, from World War II, he also harbored re resentment towards the Japanese for, you know, the atrocities that they did during World War II. Um, so, you know, a he had a lot of complex feelings, uh, was a complicated guy, um, so uh, now, so that's the original storyline. Now I'll let Kevin take it away here with some information on um, some of the other adaptations that we've seen, you know, in cartoons and such over the years. Yeah. So I mean, as much as uh, uh, the Great Yokai War is kind of a, a classic uh, story in in the original Kitaro manga, uh, you can sort of see uh, on top of the uh, on top of us. Bird mentioned the. Uh, Momotaro roots, you can see that it came out a year after Monster Zero. And for those who don't know, the Japanese title for Monster Zero is Kaiju Daisenso. And the storyline in Kitaro is called Yokai Daisenso, which is only a 20% different title. Uh, so that's kind <laughs> of, you know, if you think about, oh, this is the Earth monsters fighting off this foreign space monster versus this is about the Japanese monsters fighting off these Western monsters that are coming in. Uh, there's a little bit of thematic overlap that's going on there as well. So the Great Yokai War is a very influential story. Um, it uh, it actually introduced one of Kitaro's frequent companions, which is this uh, this guy uh, here that is a sort of a, a roll of paper who uh, or, or a roll of cloth, and uh, he he is. Uh, one of the characters that is most associated with Kitaro and actually shows up in the movie that we're going to talk about later. Uh, this story has been adapted into anime at least four times now uh, and uh, features, you know, the the big king of the uh, uh, Western yokai is this, this monster Backbeard, who's just a floating eyeball. Uh, but then we got another adaptation of sorts 
uh, a little bit down the road. And this is the uh, the Yokai Monsters trilogy. So because Kitaro was super successful, we got this boom of Yokai material in Japan, where it was really popular in boys magazines and things to just go off about Yokai related stories and hear the different monsters and so on and so forth. A lot kind of coming off of the, the wave of kaiju uh, popularity. And in fact, the Yokai trilogy was a, a, a period uh, film trilogy made by Daie that directly rolled off of the back of the Daimajin trilogy. So they made three Daimajin movies and then they sort of segued into making these Yokai movies that were also you know, samurai films with monsters in them. So it's all kind of part of the same series. And they did three stories, uh, you know, three movies in the course of two years. Uh, and those are available in the U.S. from ADV if you want to track down long out-of-print DVDs. Uh, but uh, two of those stories are kind of generic yokai-related stories. And then the, the middle one in this trilogy is Spook Warfare, which is about all of Japan's yokai gathering together to fight off a vampire that's come from the Middle East and is trying to take over Japan. So they don't quite go with the same monsters that were in the Mizuki version, but it's very much influenced by that. Uh, the The Yokai Monsters trilogy is uh, fantastic. I would I would recommend checking them out if you're a uh, a fan of Dai special effects. Uh, these were these were right together with the uh, the Gamera movies. Two of them were on double bill with the Gamera movies. Uh, Spook Warfare was not. It was actually on double bill with another uh, Yuasa movie, um, the, the uh, Snake Girl and the Silver-Haired Witch. Uh, but it's it's one of those classic things that you still see merchandise for today, especially Spook Warfare. And they had tried to reboot it actually in the 1980s. That didn't quite work. But um, basically the, the pitch that uh, Makoto Tezuka had there uh, was... To, was basically reused for a series called the Yokai Tengoku or Monster Heaven. So he he made two movies in 1980 something and 1990 something, and uh, kind of kept that legacy going. So the the history with Daie is really complicated for anybody who's looked into the uh, the history of, of the Gamera franchise. Uh, Basically, they went bankrupt in the 1970s, but they were revived under uh, Tokuma, which was a publishing house. Uh, and uh, under Tokuma, they had uh, a lot. They, they slowly built themselves up through the the video market, and then had uh, a bit of a renaissance in the 1990s with stuff like the Gamera trilogy and Shall We Dance. But they never quite were operating at a full profit. You know, the Gamera movies are great but they did not make a whole lot of money. Uh, so because of that, uh, when uh, Yasuyoshi Tokuma passed away in 2000, uh, his company was kind of eager to get rid of Dae, so they, they moved it off to uh, Katakawa. And uh, Katakawa, upon you know doing all of the work to integrate it, announced their own uh, film division. So they started making movies right away under this new Kadokawa Dai studio. Uh, and the first of these was directed by uh, Takashi Miike, who was most known at the time for sort of cheap uh, direct-to-video movies that were very popular. 
Uh, so his the his movie that he did with them was called One Missed Call. Uh, but he'll uh, he'll show up again in this video, so to speak. Uh, and the other thing is, once Katakawa Dae was signed, established, they got really remake happy. They sort of were going through their back catalog and finding titles that were successful in the past, and especially in the like 70s and 80s, and being like, hey, let's bring back uh, Samurai Reincarnation. Let's bring back the Inugami clan. Uh, let's bring back the girl who leapt through time. And they were just making remakes left and right. Uh, and in that line, we get to the subject of this panel, which is the Great Yokai War. So we have a whole bunch of uh, of talent that was brought together uh, for this movie. You know, we have director Takashi Miike, who is one of the best recognized Japanese directors in the West. I think uh, you know he's done over a hundred movies, and he usually does a lot of movies per year. Um, you know, prior to this, he would do like nine movies in a year, but he really was able to take his time with the great yokai war and put in a lot of effort. And he had a much bigger budget than he was used to working with. Uh, in addition to, uh, to Mike, there were, there were two other screenwriters for the, the project. Uh, uh, Mitsuhiko Sawamura uh, is kind of known for the dot, dot hack franchise. If anybody remembers the 2000s anime, was kind of related to the matrix um uh, he also after this went on to uh, write one of the live action um gegege no kitaro movies so we'll get to that later uh suyohiko uh, itakura i don't really know any other titles from so uh but then there was a whole host of great consultants uh that formed uh something that they call the production team kai uh, and this included Shigeru Mizuki, who we talked about before, and then uh, Hiroshi Aramada, who wrote um, the uh, Tales of the Capital or uh, Teto Monogatari series. Uh, we'll get to that in, in a little bit. Uh, Natsuhiko Kyogoku, who is a yokai researcher uh, and also sort of oversees a, um, a society for mystery writers in Japan. And then uh, Miyuki Miyabe, who wrote, um, you know, Crossfire and Eco and um, Kojin uh, and probably some other big titles that I'm, oh, Brave Story. That's one of hers. So this was this was sort of a dream team of, of consultants that were brought together. Uh, and on top of that, we got a bunch of cool uh creature designers, and we'll get to them in sort of a separate segment when we talk about the character designs. Uh, lastly, uh, Koji Endo has done scores for most of, um, I don't know, most of, a whole lot of Takashi Miike's movies, so they were a good collaboration team. <clears throat> so a little more on the uh, production history. Um, <clears throat> This was made for Katakawa's 60th anniversary. And um, yeah, the idea was to bring back all their old franchises, including the Tokusatsu stuff, um, which got us this and, and Gamera the Brave. Um, it began as a discussion with uh, Miyuke Miyabe about the idea of remaking the 1968 movie. Um, and that's where uh, you know Team Kai came in 
with Aramata, Mizuki, Kyoguku, um, uh, and they all kind of came together with ideas. Um, Aramata was the one that uh, brought Mike in uh, as the director, and um, he would also be uh, working on the novel form of the movie um, at the same time as, as the actual movie was being made. Um, so kind of like a Michael Crichton Jurassic Park kind of deal. Um, so uh, it does work in a way as a sequel to his um, Tokyo, the last megalopolis. Uh, we'll, we'll unpack that in just a moment. Um, but the filming ran um, from July 13th, 2004, which is, uh, we are like almost, we're two days away from, from, from that anniversary. Uh, and it wrapped on um, January 16th, 2005, came out in August of that year. Um, the production cost was a, around 1.3 billion yen, um, which in U.S. dollars is about 12 million. And um, that was the most expensive movie for the studio uh, at that time, um, which should also give you an idea of just how Japanese movie budgets differ from ours. Um, and so uh, we're going to go now, um, I guess, uh, to a breakdown of the cast. Um, and uh, I apologize in advance for butchering some of these names. Uh, but uh, the lead character of Tadashi we have is uh, Ryo, Ryonsuke Kamiki, um, who is still a, a popular actor today. He's almost 30 now, in case anyone out there needed a reason to feel old and go through a existential crisis. Um, he, uh, but uh, yeah, so he's kind of the child actor that kind of stuck with it. Um, kind of like, you know, how someone like DiCaprio would hear. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> I'm not going to go through everybody, but just some of the more um, uh, recognizable faces to people that might be checking this out. Um, Sadao Abe, um, he's, uh, I, I believe he's mostly a stage guy. Is that right, Kevin? He does a lot of stage stuff, I know. I believe so. Um, but yeah, he plays the kappa here. Um, and as, as you can see in some of these pictures, I know they're small, but uh, you can see some of the really good practical makeup effects on, on some of these actors. Um, the prolific Bunta Sagawara plays Tadashi's grandpa. Um, people familiar with Japanese cinema probably know him best from all of those uh, Fukusaku gangster movies. Um, uh, and then we have uh, Akira Emoto uh, has a little cameo at the beginning. People... Um, checking us out now would probably know him from um, uh, he's Yuki in Godzilla versus Space Godzilla and he's also in um, Shin Godzilla um, Shiro Sano uh, at the far right there he has a cameo as um, uh, the this reporter character's boss um, and then I don't know if I know Kanji Tsuda here in, in a cameo Kevin why why would I know him uh, he is one of those actors that just keeps showing up in, in thing after thing after thing. The main thing that I can think of that uh, people might latch onto is he is the main villain in the third season of Garo. But okay. uh, he's uh, he's one of those, once you start looking at cast list, he's a character actor that pops up quite a bit. And he actually plays two roles in this movie because he plays Tadashi's father and the grown-up version of Tadashi. Ah, okay, okay. And he's, uh, so, oh, okay, is he in Gamera the Brave as well? Uh, yes, he is. Yeah, he's the dad in that too. Okay, so um, okay, so okay, 
okay, and then um, we have uh, some more um, cast members here. Um, there's Shigeru Mizuki in the top right in that cameo as, uh, what do they call him? He's like the god grand of the elder. Yeah, yeah, the grand elder. And that's when he gives the little uh, anti-war coda. Um, uh, we have Kenichi Endo uh, at the bottom left there is the giant Tengu. Um, and then uh, playing Kato, we have uh, it's, it's Sushi Tokaya. Yeah. Oh my God. Toyokawa. Um, and then, uh, of course, as his sidekick is Agi, the the evil yokai uh, played by Chiaki Kuriyama, who I think most people would know as uh, Gogo and Kill Bill. But she's also in a whole bunch of stuff. Um, she's in Battle Royale. Um, so speaking of Kato and this this villain that comes from this novel written by a uh, um, Aramata, um, that is a whole other dense can of worms that uh, I am not properly qualified to talk about. So I will hand that to Kevin here. Sure. Uh, so I think a lot of people didn't recognize Kato in this movie um, who, who are less familiar with, uh, with Japanese literature or pop culture because he doesn't have his iconic hat. But uh, right. he's, he's this character that is an, an ancient... Uh, Onmyoji or, or wizard basically um, and he's been the the villain from this uh, from the series uh, Teto Monogatari or uh, Tales of the Capital uh, that was adapted several times uh, but I think the ones that most people would know we have the the Tokyo uh, the last megalopolis and its sequel Tokyo the last war that uh, the Toho put out in which he was uh, played by uh, Kyusaku Shimada and then we have um, an anime adaptation called Doomed Megalopolis, which was one of those 90s OVAs that got uh, got a lot of play in the, the States uh, for being, you know, graphic and, and weird. Uh, these are very dense movies, uh, so I don't know if I would necessarily recommend them to people who don't want to spend some time on Wikipedia looking up, you know, Meiji-era pop culture, but... Uh, right, it, it's like... Uh... It, yeah, it's very culturally specific and dense. So, like, you, yeah, like, you need to have an actual knowledge of, like, the history during that time period. It, it would be like, imagine a Japanese person reading The Watchmen with no knowledge of what the 1980s in the United States was like. Like, you would be probably pretty lost. I, I watched the first movie that was made by Akio Josoji, and I didn't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of, you know... Oh, here's something about Tyra no Masakado. Oh, here's something about the Great Kanto earthquake. Oh, here's something about the various decorations on the street in Osaka. Like it just it doesn't stop. So uh, it's uh, it's rewarding if you if you really go through it, it. The best analogy, yeah, something like Watchmen or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where like if you know all of the the references, you can really get into it. But it is a little bit like you're you're pulling pieces together from various things and kind of seeing the connections that uh, that Aramada is making with it. Um, nevertheless, uh, this uh, this series was really popular in Japan and inspired things like uh, the Onmyoji movies, uh, but also to a lesser extent, um, a less obvious extent, you get things like uh, Clamp had a, a series called. X and uh, one called Tokyo Babylon, where you have characters that are very similar to this, you know, that the, do these kind of magical things in an urban fantasy setting. 
Uh, and then the the character directly kind of uh, influenced a, a bunch of copycats. Uh, so there's there's one that's a, a warden in uh, Rikio, the story of Ricky, uh, in um, Shin Megami Tensei, the, the series that eventually like spun off into Persona, uh, Nura, uh, Rise of the Yokai Clan, and then what everybody brings up when they when they see this guy for the first time is like, oh hey, is that is that M Bison? And uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, this this is a this is a, a guy that's very popular in in the culture that you see as, as a recurring villain in a lot of places. Uh, and there are, there are movies that were made with, uh, with this character that uh, have not been localized or, or even fan subbed uh, that, uh, you know, they're not all great, but uh, it's, it's, he's got a bigger footprint than one would necessarily recognize. Yeah. And that shouldn't let anyone who might not have seen great yokai war. Don't let that deter you because it's perfectly accessible without it. Um, he's just a big pop culture character in Japan. It would, it would be like, you know, you can, uh, watch, it would be like watching like Suicide Squad without knowing who the Joker is. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like people react to him when he's, when he's mentioned by name in the movie. And that's, that's why basically. And uh, uh, here we have uh, some other key yokai that are not played by human beings. <laughs> um, of course, on the left here is everybody's favorite, um, Sune Kosuri. Uh, isn't he adorable? Um, a lot of people, <laughs> I've seen people get uh, adamantly turned off by this movie just uh, because of how much physical abuse this thing uh, <laughs> takes. Um, he gets beaten to a pulp several times, transformed into a horrible monster. Uh, he bleeds what looks like uh, uh, gravy. Um, but uh, he is the yokai that uh, what, nudges your shin. Um, and then we have the loincloth yokai, Iten Momen, um, who they ride around in, uh, on, like, uh, like, you know, to get from place to place. Um, we have uh, Karakasa, uh, who is um, probably one of the more recognizable ones in the West. Um, I know, uh, I think they, they have him in, uh, Yo uh, is it Yokai, Yokai Watch, which is popular uh, with, with the youngsters these days. Um, but yeah, the one-eyed umbrella uh, Yokai. And then we have the Kirin, who is at the right, um, and uh, that... The the movie uh, is is framed around um, the Kieran Rider, which is kind of the the film's version of you know your Joseph Campbell hero story guy, you know your your Luke Skywalker or your your Neo from the Matrix, the the chosen one. Um, so speaking of the Kieran Rider and what the movie is all about, um, Kevin, would you mind giving us a synopsis of the film? Yeah, it's uh, for an uh, for a movie that's over two hours long. the The plot is not as complicated as as one would necessarily expect, but uh, it if if you watch it, there's definitely some nuance and subtlety that that gets brought into it. But basically, you have this kid uh, Tadashi who is living out in the countryside with his uh, grandfather and aunt uh, because the his parents are 
are busy with work basically and they don't come to visit him and uh, he uh, goes to a folk festival uh, where they are basically choosing somebody to become the the Kirin Rider, which is uh, a title that's uh, passed down from from one person to another. That basically the idea is that uh, the Kirin Rider will will prevent some great disaster. So he goes. He he gets really invested in this because I guess he's he's kind of a lonely kid, uh, and he, he you know goes to a mountain where the the Kirin Rider supposedly has. Uh, uh, stored a stored a sword or something along those lines. Uh, he sees a bunch of of yokai uh, there, so he sees a bunch of, of spirits, and then he gets really um, really uh, in in interested in the whole uh, prospect. So he befriends the Sunekosuri, the little cat like creature. They say it's cat like; like it doesn't quite look that way to me, but. I'm, I'm not an yeah. expert on feline anatomy. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, he he goes and he does some some research at uh, uh, at the Shigeru Mizuki Museum, actually, which was some some nice uh, product placement cross promotional type of stuff. Uh, he meets a reporter who works for uh, Kai magazine, which is you remember was the same magazine that uh, the 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 this movie was first proposed in uh who's also investigating yokai and uh and eventually he kind of stumbles across this this group of of yokai that are uh banding together and the reason why they're banding together is that one of their own uh this fairy uh creature called agi has has turned against them and joined the the forces of uh yasunori kato who is uh collecting yokai and sort of using their spiritual energy to create monsters uh called uh yomo tsumono uh and the the idea is that they take the yokai's natural energy and the sort of grudge that's left over from a discarded object uh so they'll put a yokai and a thrown out bicycle together into a machine and then it comes out as a bicycle monster so Basically, uh, Tadashi and a group of, of the handful of yokai that are willing to rebel uh, sort of get together to try to go up against Kato. And Kato creates this big monster thing, flies to Tokyo, uh, and lands on the, the Capitol building. Most of the adults in the world can't see the yokai, so it's not clear how much how much panic is going on although we do see you know some people reacting to the uh to the monsters as uh, they're appearing in the city uh and uh the they basically the heroes trick all of the the yokai from across japan and in some cases even from beyond japan to come together and converge on tokyo and you get this massive group of of thousands of uh of yokai all heading together to to Tokyo, thinking that there's going to be a party, basically, <laughs> but in fact, it winds up being a big fight between them and these uh, these mechanical monsters. Uh, and uh, the don't want to uh, to give away the the ending, but it's uh, an unconventional defeat for our our main villain, to say the least. <laughs> yes. 
so, so like I said, there's a there's a whole lot of uh, themes that if you want to, you know, kind of unpack the, the pieces. You know, this is a children's movie, but but Mike is a a bit of a maverick director. It's pretty densely, thematically, it's pretty densely layered for, you know, what's essentially a kid's fantasy that grew out of, you know, them wanting to have something to compare to like Harry Potter or something like uh, there's a whole lot it's of layers to it. So the, the core conflict uh, is, has changed from the original story where it's not so much this Western influence, but it's more of an industrial influence. And you can see that in the, you know, Kato has this big machine that he uses to convert all of the yokai. Uh, and they, they come out as sort of twisted forms that are uh, created by sort of the, the refuse of, uh, of the industrial revolution. So, you know, you get, you know, a vacuum cleaner combined with a yokai or, um, uh, lawnmower combined with a yokai or something along those lines. And it's uh, my, I, I was watching it with my fiance and she kind of said like, oh, this reminds me of Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is not usually what you think of when you think of, of children's movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also I think there's probably something to be said about the big monster absorbing city hall. Oh yeah, for sure. Um. But yeah, so we're going to kind of bat back and forth on a lot of these themes. Uh, a big one is the concept of animism, which uh, is uh, uh, big in Japan, but I think in a lot of cultures, there's kind of this idea, um, which um, essentially is the idea that everything, including inanimate objects, um, have a sort of a, a soul or an energy or, um, you know, even if you look at a movie like GMK, that's they play with that concept in there too, with the idea that these statues kind of hold um, this energy or this soul. Um, so you see that a lot. That is why um, they, they are feeding off of the, the, uh, the anger that these <clears throat> objects, these uh, inanimate objects like bicycles and even shoes and stuff have when they're thrown away, you know, they're, they're of no use. And so they're tossed away. And so um, they have this resentment. And when combined with the, the yokai's en energy, it creates these mechanical monsters. So, um, and that's, like I said, that's a big thing in Japan. From what I understand, I've never been there. From what I understand, though, that's why you don't see a whole lot of thrift stores uh, in Japan, um, at least to my knowledge. Again, I could be completely wrong, but that that's uh, the, you know, the idea that... Um, I've, I've been told. Um, so, uh, and then the other one is um, just adolescence. This, this is uh, quite literally, you know, the story of a boy becoming a young man. Um, it's a coming of age story. Uh, and uh, it's interesting, Mike on the, on the DVD in the interview said that he felt that uh, the actor playing Tadashi was going through the same thing because he was only something like 11 or 12. And uh, he said, you know, in those seven or so months that they shot, he could see him growing uh, and maturing as a person, you know, um, you know, getting, um, you know, that, that kind of from that, that kind of puberty age. Um, and uh, Mike said that they filmed most of the movie in sequence, which is rare for any movie to be shot uh, in sequence. And uh, he said he could see that 
as they, they were filming as well. And, and you do get a lot of that um, in the movie itself. Uh, you, you get visual cues, you know, when he, uh, when he's first woken up after, um, you know, I guess getting uh, 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 transferred to the yokai uh, uh, land, for lack of a better word, you know, his, his hand, uh, there's a close up of his hand on the, the, the water spirit uh, princess's thigh. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at the end you get a, a, a visual metaphor when he takes off his, his clothes and puts on the, the warrior clothes that the, the yokai give him. And it's, you know, he is, he's, uh, not a boy anymore. He's a young man. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, tying tying into that, you know, you get a little bit of the same stuff that goes on in uh, All Monsters Attack, where you you have this the kid that's kind of like left to his own devices, and his his family is is more or less absentee in the sense that you know this is this is a boy that you know early in the movie we get uh, we get him calling his mom and saying like, hey, are you guys gonna visit? And they're like, eh, maybe, and it's eh, it makes him start to start to cry. Um, but uh, you know, he's he's very very much has a has a strong connection with his grandfather, even though his grandfather has dementia and only like recognizes him one in one in three days. Uh, but you know, he also kind of has a bit of a a bit of a found family in terms of you know getting together with all the these these yokai. Uh, and then there's that there's sort of a sad code at the end that you know they they're going to to drift apart again as they as as he grows up. Uh, but uh, but yeah, the the sort of uh, community spirit of you know bringing all the all the yokai together to to fight against uh, a, a common threat is uh, is something that runs through every incarnation of the Great Yokai War. Um, there's also a bit of a of a, a legacy type of uh, theme that that goes on both with. Uh, Tadashi sort of being chosen to be the Kirin Rider, and that's this lineage of people who have had this sword handed down to fight disaster time and time again. And you get flashbacks to the past. Uh, also, with um, there's a there's a bit where the this one yokai Kawahime uh, is basically approached by by Kado and being like, "Hey, don't you want to uh, don't you want to be uh, part of the 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 force that is going to." Uh, over overthrow the humans because don't you bear a grudge against them? And she says, yes, I bear a grudge against them, but you know, that's not, that's not part of who I am and what I want to be uh, is, is somebody that goes out and seeks vengeance. So it's kind of a, like, what do you want your, your legacy to be in the world? Do you want something that is going to leave a, a path of, of love or one that's going to sort of walk a path of destruction? And um, <clears throat> also, uh, that also ties into what we were saying earlier about getting older and not to give the ending away. You know, a lot of people talk about what does it mean? And I, I mean, the ending is basically, you know, once you are old, you've grown cynical, you lose your imagination. You can't see a lot of the good things that you could see as a child. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, obviously war is the other big one. We already talked about the coda at the end of war. Shouldn't happen. It only makes you hungry saying, you know, war is meaningless. Um, and, and there were some conscious decisions on uh, Mike's part to convey that. Um, when the yokai all travel um, to the city for this big thing, they think it's a party. 
and they don't they don't even know what where they are. And, and Mike said that he intentionally showed that you know the yokai don't really know what they're they're doing. There's a whole bunch of miscommunication. Um, they 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 don't quite understand. And he said he wanted to show the fight as something that just shouldn't even exist, something completely stupid and something completely silly. Um, and it's it's really just kind of pointing out the absurdity of war just as an idea and saying war is completely ridiculous. Um, and then uh, there's some even more subtle stuff. You know, remember this movie was made in the middle of the, the Iraq war. And uh, at the end, when they show the sand throwing, which, um, you know, tossing sand into the air, uh, I guess Mike, uh, directed the actress to throw it in the geographical direction of, of where Iraq was. So, um, you know, smart, smart filmmaker. Um, and uh, we're going to plow through some trivia. Um, and I'm not sure if we'll have time for questions, but um, I think uh, let's, uh, let's get through this stuff. Kevin, take it away with some trivia here. Yeah, let's uh, let's go through some of this stuff pretty quick. Just in terms of the production, it was a very long shoot, as we talked about by Mike's standards, uh, and there was a lot of mix of practical effects and CGI, which was uh, not the most common at the the time that this was made. Um, I say 170 different types of yokai, just because I went through kind of like counting them. Uh, but there's definitely seems like there were more than that uh, if you consider that there were 3,000 extras. Uh, you know, you got a couple of uh, of yokai uh, scholars um, like uh, Matt Alt and uh, Hiroko Yoda that uh, were actually on set and got to to put on some some yokai costumes for the uh, for the piece as well. Uh, and then uh, one of the sets burned down during production, which set things back a little bit. Uh, you can see some of the some of the set designs. Uh, they're not super intricate, but they're definitely for for constructing for for a single movie. Uh, impressive uh you, and you can sort of see uh some of the design work that went into uh to each one of these um and uh some more interesting bits for Mike fans um at times he would actually direct the movie uh wearing the mask from his tokusatsu hero uh zebra man he did two um uh kind of uh tokusatsu hero movies zebra man one and two they're really good um the movie even features a cameo from the crab alien creature from zebra man um in in zebra man he was played by akira emoto who we see in here and you know yuki from space godzilla um then we have uh, some other things um Mike regular shohei uno has a cameo as the monkey king who's a mythological uh character um in Chinese lore, um, Tadashi travels to the real-life Mizuki Museum that uh, we mentioned earlier. And all along that street in Japan, there are um, actual sculptures of his Ka Kitaro characters. Um, and uh, another Kitaro reference is when uh, the, the cloth yokai is trying to get away from a fight, the kappa says, you know, you're always so brave in the Kitaro stories. Um, the gigantic uh, Yamatsumono uh, creature, which is like the big kaiju in the movie, is mistaken for Gamera at one point. Um, and also uh, uh, Miyuke Miyabe, um, who was on the consulting team, and she wrote uh, Pyrokinesis, which was uh, Kaneko made a movie about that. Uh, she played the teacher at the beginning of the movie. Um, and then uh, we have some concept art from all four of the main um, yokai artists so we're going to take a look at that 
Yeah, they kind of, uh, they split up the art uh, a bit between them. So, you know, sort of our, our main characters were uh, designed by uh, Junya Inoue, who would be best known for his uh, manga series uh, Bitum, uh, which had an anime adaptation. Uh, Yasushi uh, Nirasawa, who is a fantastic creature designer, um, kind of did the uh, all of the uh, Yomotsumo no um, type of stuff. And you can see that his his original designs for Agi and, and Kato were, were different from what wound up in the uh, the final final designs. And yes, the, the there's a lot of chainsaws and that this is a year after he did uh, uh, Gigan for Final Wars. I think there might have been a little bit of overlap between the two of them. Uh, Takayuka Takeya, who, who I think people in this crowd would probably know for Shin Godzilla, but also has done a lot of fantastic creature designs, um, did uh, did a handful of the yokai in this, and you can really see uh, his his hand and uh, a few of the, the ways that the, the monsters look. And uh, Tomo uh, Kyakutake, who I think is mostly a, 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 a figure, like, toy designer, um, uh, but did a, did a handful of the the designs, including the the weird uh, uh, human face dog and the the giant uh, flying creature that we uh, we get towards the climax of the film. Uh, so there was a uh, a novelization that was made concurrently with the movie by Aramada, but also Mizuki himself did a manga adaptation that uh, that Aramada wrote, and it's a little bit different. It's funny because usually. Uh, you'd think in the manga they would go bigger, but uh, the the manga is a little bit of a smaller scale compared to the uh, compared to the movie. So there's a there's some little uh, changes here and there. Uh, for for one thing, uh, Kado and Agi sort of ride around in this weird looking like helicopter thing. Sune uh, Kosuri can talk, and and Agi really reminds me of uh, Neko Musume from uh, the Kitaro uh, manga. Um, so, uh, the movie came out, it was actually a big hit at the box office, um, uh, however, there wasn't much merchandise, um, but obviously, you know, they kept on going, they made Gamera the Brave after this, and the success of this movie, um, Nikkei signed on to do a Daimajin, uh, reboot, but then Gamera the Brave happened, and that just fell apart and they eventually did the TV show. Uh, it's too bad the Mikkei version never, never got made. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there were ideas, you know, they said they wanted this to be like their Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. So any, any sequels or anything all got scrapped. Um, uh, so thanks Gamera. <laughs> um, uh, and then, uh, but however, there was kind of a, um, a little boom. There was a theme park attraction and then uh, the mid, the late 2000s did have a little yokai boom, and Kevin uh, has a, a list of titles here. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you could point to some of the earlier things, like Sakuya is kind of paving the way as well, but uh, this was a was a huge hit in a way that, you know, the Kibakichi wasn't. Um, and after this, you started getting, you know, you got your actual live-action Kitaro movies, and you you got things like Cat Eye Boy and uh, Dororo and Yokai Ningen Bem, as well as anime movies like um, 
uh, Letter to Momo and Summer Days with Ku. So you started just seeing like yokai uh, flooding the the market all of a sudden uh, in the in the wake of this movie, and that's uh, that's a nice impact even if this franchise wasn't able to continue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's the great yokai war. I mean, I rewatched it for this, and uh, it's become one of my favorite Mikkei films. I'm a big fan of uh, of that director and. Um, it, it kind of gets better every time I watch it, really. Um, I give it like four and a half out of five. Yep, that's uh, that's the, the same place that I'm at. Uh, I think that it's one of the, the movies that, you know, there's, there's occasional flaws here and there. You know, all of the special effects aren't necessarily going to hold up, but there's a whole lot to admire in it, and especially... Uh, as we were talking about, there's so much going on with the, the thematics and then you appreciate all of the work that went into all of the costumes and designs. And uh, if you're a yokai geek, you can just go through and, and be like, oh, it's I, I recognize that guy. Oh, that, they worked this guy in. And uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so check it out. Uh, the yeah. DVD, I think, is still out there. I, I hope so. But um, hopefully it'll get a Blu-ray release here someday. But um, yeah, uh, Justin says in the comments that there's a DVD new on Rice stuff for like two dollars. So um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's not streaming anywhere. So if you're trying to, to do that, uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, um, well, I think we might be at about time. I don't know what. The... Yeah, we're uh, we're at 53 minutes. So we 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 use three minutes of overlap time. So let's get out of here. <laughs> All right, but. Thanks, everybody. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Kyle, for uh, having us involved. Um, uh, you know, thank you for doing this. Uh, this is going to be a great event. So stick around, people. We got There's more stuff going on. I've got a panel later. Yes. All right. All right. Bye. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.